Campus to Canton format is here. And it's not going anywhere. It's only growing. That's that's because it's the best fantasy format. It's very simple. It's very simple. You have an NFL team, like any dynasty fantasy football team. But you also have a college team. And the college side, quote-unquote, of your league has weekly games and a championship, just like any NFL dynasty league. And when the players from your college team declare for the NFL, they're added on to your NFL roster. That's it. That's it. It makes Sundays interesting. It makes Saturdays interesting. Definitely makes some of those weekday college games interesting. If you are, if you like football, if you, if you watch the NFL draft, if you were on an NFL draft live stream, you should be playing in Campus to Canton leagues. If you bet on the NFL or college football, trying to find betting news on Action Network, you should be playing in Campus to Canton leagues. And it's start-up season. It's start-up season. Campus to Canton startup season. So I had to call on a veteran about his approach. Kyle Francis, co-owner of the Debbie Watch. Just a really smart guy. One of the few that I've actually used the notification bell on Twitter because I don't want to miss anything that he has to say. But it's startup season, so there are two types of drafts. Um, Campus to Canton leagues are so fun. So after your startup draft, you know, you get your your college team and your NFL roster. In subsequent years, there are two drafts. There's an NFL draft for any players that weren't already rostered. Just for example, Trey Lance wasn't rostered on most uh, college teams last year. So in the NFL draft, he was widely considered the number one pick. Ramondre Stevenson because of his kind of checkered college career, he wasn't rostered on many college teams last year, so he would have been a a pick. Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan Kalamazoo stand-up, he wasn't rostered on most teams, so he's another player who was taken early on the NFL side of those NFL drafts and camps to Canton leagues. But But the other fun thing is every year you have a draft for the college pool. Now, I call it, or I was calling it a freshman draft because all of these highly touted freshmen, Trevor Lawrence uh, uh, and Justin Fields, when they uh, entered college, you could have dra- drafted them before they even played a college game. Um, I've always called them freshman drafts, but my guest, Kyle Francis, calls them supplemental drafts where you have this pool of college players that you can pick from. And I'll let him explain why he calls it that, why he doesn't call them freshman drafts because he doesn't get infatuated with these highly touted freshmen. He he's not he's not buying it. And I'll I'll let him explain to you why. Kyle Francis is a smart dude that I really enjoy talking to. And if you enjoy football, I think that you'll enjoy this conversation. So here is my conversation with Kyle Francis at franchise KF on Twitter, co-owner of Debbie Watch. Here's my discussion with Kyle. Kyle Francis, the Debbie Watch. 
You can find him at Franchise KF on Twitter. Just a really smart dude. If you haven't caught our interview earlier this year um, with him on the Debbie debate, I really encourage you to check that out. It's startup season, Kyle, and um, we need some help, man, and, and you're the person to do it. Do you have any central tenets that you abide by specifically uh, in startup drafts that could help the people out? Yeah, it's it's good to be back on with you. Um, I, w- I would say that a lot of the tenets that I have would be applicable towards both startups and then what I would just call supplemental drafts. Um, and so one thing that I think would be a little bit controversial, and, and this is definitely depending on how you want to uh, structure your build and your team, but I really don't consider campus to Canton leagues, true Devi leagues, aside from, let's call it the first three at most five rounds. Um, for me, if I were to describe what campus to Canton is to me and how I build teams, I would say it's a college fantasy dynasty league. And there's a kind of a kicker or a cherry on top. If you can land a player that actually develops into a, Devi or NFL asset. So for me, if you just think about that, how that's a shift and how a lot of people play the game is it totally changes my strategy. So I'm really only concerned about the potential for NFL relevance in my, let's call it the first three rounds. Um, And and I've swung the pendulum too far uh, in the past. When I first started playing back in 2017, I went back and looked at that draft and I went too college fantasy heavy. And part of that was I was a little bit out of practice playing college fantasy. So I just wasn't as good at that side of things, but I still naturally migrate towards that tendency. So for for me, I'm really looking at who are the guys that are going to be the mega producers on the college side. Now, there's often some correlation between mega production in in college and then growing into an NFL asset. I I would say that that is um, it's going to be a lot more challenging to not be productive at the college level and then grow into a legitimate NFL asset. So um, for, for me, I'm really focusing on. You know, the 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 let's just say like this: if I'm looking at the first round of of a startup, a lot of them could be players that we see in just common Devi ADP. You know, first round. Um, I'm going to have a little bit of variation in there, whereas um, David Bell, for example, I think he has a pretty strong case to be the uh, overall college fantasy wide receiver one. Uh, this year. And I think that there, that's a big reason why he's going to be a Debbie asset as well. And so I may lean towards him uh, above another guy where I wouldn't maybe consider him until the fourth or fifth wide receiver off the board if I'm just doing a Debbie draft. So I don't love him from an NFL standpoint. I don't think he's a the level of player, for example, that we see regularly go in the first round of NFL drafts, but that does that opportunity for him exists. Um, you're going to have a strong piece of the, of, of the market that is going to uh, really value him for his, his production. And um, so I may just have a little bit of variance in there, but I'm shifting away from a Debbie mindset pretty early on in a draft. 
And I want to clarify for the audience because this took me some, you know, a little bit to to understand. The difference between college fantasy and Devi is in Devi, we're looking for those players that are gonna that are gonna end up on our NFL dynasty rosters. And for college fantasy purposes, we're just looking for the dudes that are gonna score the most points. I mean, think about June Jones and the Hawaii offenses, like like the, we wanted those quarterbacks uh in our to starting for us and on the you know in the, from a college fantasy lens, but not necessarily uh, from a, a Debbie perspective. So that's the difference between college fantasy and Debbie. Um, and you have to consider both in campus to Canton. Kyle, in Dynasty, the the conventional wisdom is to trade down, trade down, acquire future assets. But on the college side of, of campus to Canton startups, if you're just looking at the first three rounds for the Debbie value, does it make sense then to trade up to get these players that you want? Because quite frankly, the the college fantasy assets, you can get those players in the later rounds. You can get, you know, Corey Rucker and Shevin Shev Cadero out of Hawaii and Jake Hayner. You can get those players later. Um, does it make sense then to be trying to do everything you can to trade up into the first, second, and third round to get additional Debbie assets? Yeah, so for for my personal experience, I've only traded up into the first round once in a um, campus to Canton League, and that was to get Spencer Rattler. Um, and, and that's kind of, again, I can kind of touch on some more core tenets and philosophies as we get going here. But, you know, one of my philosophies is always have one Oklahoma quarterback on your roster, if not two. You know, it's 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 kind of that simple. And so if it's a guy like him and it's going to kind of help me to accomplish uh, sort of a, a core value that I have in a draft, I may be a bit more inclined. But for me, and I may be talking myself out of a job here because I, I put out a, a Debbie publication, but we're collectively, and I'm speaking for myself above anywhere else, we're not near as good at projecting Debbie assets as we think we are. And, and and so I think that's what some of the danger, if you don't have a player that is stepping into a proven historical offensive scheme that demonstrates this is going to be a high, high producing player on the college side, why even bother? You know, why, why try to do that and decrease my potential hit rate? And so, I mean, I'm just going to use a few examples of guys that we've missed on badly at the Debbie Watch in the past few years. You know, I look at guys like um, Eno Benjamin, Tyler Johnson, Tamari and Terry, Chuba Hubbard, Kylan Hill, Seth Williams. The list goes on and on. And that's just the past two years. And, and, and I'm not saying this, you know, braggadociously, but I think we do a good job of, of projecting players. But in, in my opinion, it's much harder to forecast what the NFL is going to think of a player and what they're going to do with the player than it is to look at the clearly defined historical production profiles of offensive coordinators where we have two, five, ten years of a track record of these players. So for me, I would actually be almost more inclined to trade back than I would be to trade up. But that's really because, you know, my goal in a campus to Canton format, if I can land two Debbie assets per year 
that would be a huge win for me. I, I don't want anything really. It's great if I get guys beyond that. I have tons of guys drafted every year, but the majority are rounds four through seven, or they make a team as an undrafted free agent. And that's because they're productive college players with NFL skills, but they just don't quite meet, you know, they don't, they don't cut the mustard for the NFL. So um, their NFL path to relevance is diminished, but I kind of accomplish what I want to accomplish, and that's to build a really strong core of college producers. And it seems like the uncertainty regarding um, NFL projection of players on the college side is especially true this year. I mean, if you look at last season, if you if you just started last season and you joined a campus to Canton startup, you had guys like Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Jalen Waddle. Kyle Pitts, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Rondell Moore. If you did a, a campus to Canton startup last season, those guys were going in the first round. So, And then they obviously had high draft, draft capital this year. So you probably feel all warm and fuzzy. But it seems like this season there's a lot more projecting of younger players who have multiples in the first rounds, in the first couple of rounds. There's a lot more projecting of these younger players who have multiple seasons of eligibility left um, before be- before they enter the NFL draft. DJ Uyunglele is probably a top two or three pick in most drafts. Bryce Young, first season, hasn't even been a full-time starter yet. Um, the 2023 backs, B. John Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, Tank Bigsby, all of those guys, two seasons of eligibility left. Travion Henderson hasn't played a game, and you will find him being taken in a lot of the first round of startup drafts. Kyle, it, so give me some players that you would have faith in to build your college roster around early in C2C drafts, whether, and you can take that however you want to, either if you're trading back or if you're going to stick in the first, second, and third round and, p- and pick some players. Who are some guys that you have faith in? Yeah, I, I think guys like um, Brees Hall. Tank Bigsby, um, Isaiah Spiller, Keyshawn Boutte, David Bell. Um, then you mentioned also uh, Ungalele, Rattler, Howell, Burks, uh, Bryce Young, Kyron Williams, John Mechie. Um, th- those would be types of guys that I would feel confident about if I were trying to maximize the potential of NFL asset with really strong collegiate producer for one or two more years. So those would all be guys that, that I'd be considering. But again, if I, if I were to leave uh, a draft without any of those guys that I just named, it would be far from something that I would consider a, a failure in a draft. Um, the majority of my campus to Canton teams don't have players like like those on them um so the, the the other key to that is i have to do really well building my nfl team and so if i haven't done that well maybe i i i tailor it a little bit differently where i am more inclined to take some of those assets so let's say hypothetically that you are trading back i mean it that's it's it's tough to find a partner um, to, to trade back, what types of deals are you, what are you looking for um, in a startup if you are going to trade back? Are you look, looking for, well, I, and we're going to get to this. I know you don't like freshmen, so you probably aren't necessarily looking 
for uh, freshman picks and subsequent drafts. Mm-hmm. So give me a sense of what you are looking for uh, when you're when you're when you're trading back in a startup. It's it's tough. It's a tough question to answer because, uh, as you know, campus to Canton leagues are all so different. I mean, they they could be you know Venus and and Earth when it comes to two different campus to Canton leagues, and you may have several of the same owners in each league that that you play in, but it just is so different. So it's really hard for me to quantify exactly what I would be looking for. I, I tend to think more in terms of players and like, okay, who do I think would be available then? What's the need on my roster? Um, so I'm not I'm not trying to punt that question. I just really don't. I don't know that I have a solid answer for you where it, cause it's so different than if we, we can kind of know if this is a, you know, NFL only dynasty league, you know, let's just separate this entire component. We have a pretty good idea what rookie picks are worth in terms of vets. We just have such a larger, uh, more uniform sort of cycle in that than we do on the college side of things. So to answer that, I, I feel like I would just kind of be pulling something out, out of thin air. I don't know that I necessarily would have the type of answer that you would want, but it would just be player dependent. So I'll, I'll just say a lot of times in particular, if it's going to be, if I could move back a little bit and I could acquire a guy that I think is going to be a really strong college producer, I'll just give you an example of a guy, a guy like Jalen Tolbert at, at South mm-hmm. Alabama. Um, I haven't finalized what my college fantasy rankings are going to look at, but he will firmly be inside my top 10 um, college fantasy wide receivers this year, probably even my top five. I think he's just going to have a massive season. And so for for me, I would, if someone else already had him rostered, well, I guess that 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 kind of doesn't, that's different than the startup question, but I, I guess I'll just give you, I'll just continue that that thread is if someone else has him and I can move back a few slots and swap picks and land a guy like him, there may be people who are willing to do it because they want to chase the NFL upside where again, to me, I don't really care. I want Jalen Tolbert who's going to start 12 out of 12 weeks for me and be a matchup proof player on the college side. So I would much rather trade the bigger name, Devi asset and land a guy like that. And those are the types of players that I find myself building the core of my teams around. Uh, let me just give you an example. Somebody like Troy Franklin out of Oregon, a freshman wide receiver, four star, I believe, played well in the spring game. It sounds like if given the opportunity, you would pass on a player like Franklin so that you can secure the um uh someone like Tolbert who you are you know is going to really produce for you on the college side do I have that right you do and I, and I would even I would even make it even more dramatic and take it a step further because of the scheme that that Franklin plays in under jo- Joe Moorhead at Oregon there's a really poor track record of legitimate college fantasy success in Joe Moorhead's offense so typically the relevant positions in his offense are the quarterback the running back, and then you get some good tight end play from them as well. So a core tenant, I guess, of mine, I don't know that I would put it at the center core to 
add on another uh, term I just made up, but I actually wouldn't consider drafting one of Joe Moorhead's wide receivers really at any point in a draft. Um, so Troy Franklin wouldn't even make my queue of players I was considering if I had a hundred plus guys. This is why I had to have you on because <laughs> I mean, the, the nuggets like that is why I had to have you on. Um, Speaking of why I had to have you on, you were tweeting and uh, about your your freshman drafts, I believe, and I'm, and you didn't post the picks. And I was like, Francis, I need I need to see the picks in your freshman draft. I need to know. And uh, you sent me the picks, and you didn't pick any freshmen. <laughs> Fra- Francis, you you hate freshmen. What the hell? Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, I don't think I told you this when we were when we were getting this together, but. When you said freshman draft, I had to think through. I was like, are we talking about the same thing? So even that nomenclature, I wouldn't consider that a freshman draft because, again, that's just philosophically for me. Again, maybe it's a bit semantics, but I also think it illustrates a good point is I would consider it more just like, like I said earlier, a supplemental draft and so or a non-startup draft, a 15-round draft, you know, whatever you want to use to do that. And so... Again, the the majority of those picks, um, especially in a season that doesn't involve a pandemic like last one, like last year's, which kind of threw a wrench into a lot of Campus to Canton builds and leagues and other things like that, that I just rarely consider uh, using using a pick on a freshman and and so I know probably a lot of the people that are listening to this are wanting to get into campus to Canton and probably have more experience with the NFL and so I would just say the reason being think about if you're doing uh, an NFL redraft league you can love Jalen Waddle Devonta Smith Jamar Chase however they're rookies coming into the NFL. So we have to temper expectations a little bit for the majority of players. And so if you're building a team that's a win now team, uh, which is what I, that's how I play fantasy football. I play to win now every year. And so I wouldn't want to rely. I rarely want to rely on a true freshman, especially to be one of those core assets for me in a win now team. So and again, everything when we talk fantasy football should be an at-cost discussion. So I'm not opposed to drafting true freshmen in general, but I would say if I'm looking at you know my early picks, I I rarely use those uh, on freshmen. So I'm I'm looking for again, give me a, a Jalen Tolbert type guy. I mean, he wouldn't cost you that much necessarily, but you know I I would rather find a way to work a deal where I get him and some other ammunition or maybe him and another player and then trade that pick out. So it's not that I hate freshmen. I just understand the limitations that so many things can go squarely. And and I remember you and I talked about this on the, I guess it would be called the after show last time I was chatting with you about how poor the hit rate is for 24 seven sports on their top 10 incoming freshman receivers that in their best, most glorious year, three out of those 10 guys end up growing into a Debbie asset. So that means 70% in the best year, 
never materialize for you on the NFL side of things. And these are guys that they're paid to do this. They're trained to be scouts. They have levels of access to players and coaches and metrics and everything else that we just simply don't as laymen. And so it makes things more difficult trying to, I feel like I would almost be handcuffing myself if I used premium picks on a lot of freshmen. However, the draft that I did share with you actually did take a freshman in in the first round of this particular draft. And several of the guys that know me well uh, reached out to me and they were like, is hell freezing over? Did I just see you take a true freshman in the first round? And um, I would say the stars really had to align. He he was the only player. I think I was drafting from the one eleven out of 14. Um, and uh, I took uh, Devin Neal, the running back, who we actually ironically discussed last time I was on as well um, about who was maybe going to be hired at Kansas. And they made the best possible hire for him, in my opinion, in Lance Leopold and the offense that he brings where – you know, you have a guy who's an NFL talent on a team full of guys that are going in pro in something other than sports, and he may very likely see 250 touches as soon as this season. Now, I would say it'll probably take a year for things to ramp up, but him being top five in touches every single season as a sophomore, junior, potentially as a senior are all well within reason. And I think he has pro potential. So he was the only true freshman that I had in the early parts of my queue um, of what I was looking at. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to take a shot on him because I really don't want to miss out on him. And I really had no idea how he was going to be valued by other people. So I kind of broke my own rule, which I've actually found myself breaking a few of my core uh, tenets in various drafts this year, but just, just what I was kind of feeling. The principle that I'm hearing with each of you is production, because even though you picked Devin Neal, you are um, relying on what you understand about Lance Leopold's offensive production coming from Buffalo and what he did for Jared Patterson. I mean, Jared Patterson almost broke the single game college rushing record this Mm -hmm. year. So even where you're taking Devin Neal, um, you're still saying, I want to get a player that is going to produce so I can win the championship on the college side of my campus to Canton leagues. Yeah, my my hope is that, I mean, the, the, the smallest amount of hope that I have in that choice is that he develops into an NFL asset. That That's, like I said, that's cherry on top. My hope is that he can develop into a player that at, for at least two seasons, let's call it his – um, sophomore and junior seasons that he's going to touch the ball 250 times or more each of those seasons, I'm going to have a weekly starter. And, um, you know, potentially even asset that if I wanted to flip him, uh, if, if he puts up, if he starts doing those things, um, and even to just give a parallel uh, for him, um, he hails from the state of Kansas. And so I, I, I mentioned to someone, I, I had a, um, I guess a, a victory of mine would be, um, after we scouted for the Debbie watch, I guess it would have been two years ago. I said the best running back in the incoming freshman class that I scouted was another fella from Kansas and Brees Hall. And so he was my favorite running back that I watched in that cycle. And I knew he was stepping into 
the vacated role of David Montgomery and Matt Campbell has a long, long track record dating back to Kareem Hunt of mega producers on the college side who go on to have pro potential. And so I actually hardly drafted Brees Hall at all because uh, maybe to my own discredit, uh, I I may have made a bigger uh, kerfuffle about him than I should have. So he started getting drafted earlier than uh, what was uh, what I was willing to pay. Now, I wish I had that one back. I wish I would have done it. So maybe there was a bit of a cognitive dissonance there where I was really wanting to atone for uh, not drafting Hall, but hyping him up a little bit and seeing his value skyrocket. So um, yeah, it, to me, it's, it's all about production on, on the college side. And I'm not, this isn't going to be released until Monday. I'm probably going to have Devin Neal in this startup uh, by the time <laughs> I release this because we, you know, uh, it, it won't hurt me to, I'm going to go ahead and grab him. Um, I, I still want to break down your freshman draft process. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fancy names out there are Tyler Buchner and Ja'Cory Brooks and JoJo Earl and um, uh, J.J. McCarthy, Kyle McCord, like those types of names. Is it all right if I read through the freshman draft that you sent me? Or sure. the subsequent, the supplemental draft that you yeah, sent yeah. me? Yeah, you, you, yeah. You, can, you can do that. And if you're one of my league mates listening, this is a good time for your earmuffs. So um, you, you took Devin Neal in the first round. You took Corey Rucker in the second round. Corey Rucker, if I remember correctly, one of his the final games of the season, he had like 270 yards receiving or, so, or something like that, just a really explosive game for Arkansas State. Isaac Rex, who led the country uh, at, at the tight end position in touchdowns last season for BYU as a freshman uh, even though he, I think he's 23 or 24 years old, but he did his mission trip. Calvin Turner uh, in the fourth round from Hawaii. Elijah Kanan from um, uh, uh, Auburn. Uh, Nathaniel Dell from Houston. I don't even know who that is. Can you talk to me about Dell a little bit? Yeah, so kind of one of my core tenets is I always want to have one Dana Holgerson wide receiver on my roster almost at all times. And so that's a strategy that has been profitable dating back to his time at at West Virginia. So he's kind of an unknown guy. So I'm always looking for what I would call market inefficiencies because there's a lot of knowledgeable college football guys like yourself. You're like, who is this guy? You know, I don't, I don't even know who he is. So he's not even really on the radars, but um, I was checking with my, uh, my uh, Houston sources and trying to say, Hey, I think Dell's going to be the guy next year. Is that how you see it? And he said, yeah, he is going to be the guy um, almost assuredly. So for me, it's a cheap asset of a guy that could very conceivably catch 75 balls next year. And uh, I mean, in the case of a guy like him, I actually would prefer that he doesn't develop into an NFL asset because I want him as a younger player on my roster on the college side for as many years as possible. And then I hope he's, you know, has a has a, a great career uh, as a CPA. So uh, for 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 me, I, I'm often looking for. Well, let me say it a different way. My teams are rarely sexy, but I have a very, um, uh, I don't know if rigid's the right, I know, I know I have a plan in my drafts. And so 
very rarely, I'll just say it another way this way, in particular as it pertains, I very rarely draft proven power five players. I'm much more likely to target schemes in particular at the uh, smaller programs like Houston, who Houston's not small. Um, you know, we just saw Marquez Stevenson get drafted by the Bills. You know, that's probably an optimistic outcome from a pro standpoint if it, if it pertains to Dell. But, you know, I'm looking at guys where they don't pop on your stat sheet yet. But if history repeats, and he is Holgerson's wide receiver one, I'm going to, again, have an, a weekly starter for several years on my college side. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so you said that, you know, you don't normally have the sexy names on your roster. Well, doesn't get no sexier than Travion Henderson. <laughs> if, if, if you, and he's widely considered the one-on-one in freshman drafts, let's say hypothetically that, you know, and this would never happen, you know, one of your teams finished poorly and you actually get the one-on-one um, in the freshman or subsequent draft, sub, so supplemental draft, the, the term that you used. Um, are you taking Henderson or would you consider some other options with the one Oh one? I think my first, my first instinct may be to consider trading back. Um, easier for me to say when we're just talking now and my blood's not up and we're not in the middle of a draft, I probably make the pick. Um, I think for me again, because it helps to kind of accomplish that, core mission and value that I have is I think I, I may have been more inclined to take Caleb Williams uh, than, than Travion Henderson. Um, so for, for me, uh, especially because the team that I just finished drafting, like I said, this is the team where I traded up for Rattler. Um, so I'm going to add Rattler to my pro side next year, which is a huge value add. And he's going to have a massive season this year. So if I could get his air at a one-year discount, that's been a really successful philosophy for me. So again, I guess we can just seg into that and say that a lot of what I'm doing is trying to backfill my top positions in my top schemes so I may be more inclined to take a guy that's going to be one year out for example of replacing uh, a player that's going to be a position group that I really covet in drafts so he would fit my philosophy because I also I guess to, to take out a step further so I had Kyler Murray and then I drafted Rattler with the one-year backfill, and then now Kyler's up alongside Lamar and Mahomes. Then I'm bringing Rattler up next year, so I'm going to have quite a quarterback room there. So I would have loved to take Williams and then hope to continue it. So again, that's just kind of how I think when I'm structuring drafts. Uh, in my mind, that would be the ideal, how that would have worked out. All right, speaking of schemes, um, Steve Sarkeesian, he, I, I just got some some other questions here, not necessarily related to to drafts, but um, Steve Sarkeesian goes to Texas, and you have commented on Casey the Casey Thompson Hudson card battle, and specifically, um, you think that Casey Thompson could limit the offense. Why don't you just tell the audience what your thoughts were and? Who do you think is going to end up winning that battle? Yeah, so I, I think if you look at, again, the the importance to me of play call or what's their roots? 
who who are they? What got Steve Sarkeesian the job at Texas? Because chances are he's going to try to implement something similar. And I mean, this is a silly example. We're not going to see him run in triple option football. That's that's not what got him hired at the University of Texas. So I look back to his two most recent stops, and they're with the Atlanta Falcons and the University of Alabama. And so I kind of look at the players in 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 Matt Ryan and Tua and Mac that he had there. And sometimes I'll try to use that as a gauge for, for skill set. And so if I'm just evaluating both Thompson and card, who's the most apples to apples player with those names that I just mentioned. And for me, the answer would easily be card. And so when I am watching the spring game and reading the clips and going back through and, and doing everything I can to be educated about these players is the main issue that I have with Thompson is that he just has an extremely limited college arm. Um, and that, and that's the most polite way that, that I think I could put it. Um, when, when a quarterback looks like every one of their passes is a touch pass, uh, regardless of the type of throw they're executing, I have a few questions. Uh, I'm not one of those guys. You don't have to be able to throw the ball 80 yards, but when we're looking at some of the staples, you know, think about some of the balls that, that Mac and, and Tua threw and, and Matt Ryan. And even I'm, I'm thinking to even just Trevor Lawrence, that deep out, you know, that NFL throw. I've heard NFL scouts say watching a college kid throw a deep out is the most telling ball that I can see when it comes to evaluating, do they have the requisite NFL arm? And when I've seen him throw a few of those, it hasn't been pretty. Um, the ball really floated. And uh, and actually in the spring game, um, he had one taken back 92 yards the other, the other way in the red zone because he threw a touch pass uh, when he should have rifled it in there. And I just don't think that he had the arm for it. And it ended up instead of being points for them, it ended up being points for the defense. And so unless Sark is going to significantly change the offense that he's going to run, I just think that with Thompson's arm, there's limitations in terms of what can be done. Um, the other thing that uh, I found to be really interesting, even with Mac Jones last year, who's not a good runner, um, 53% of Alabama or Max snaps, essentially his pass plays came off play action or were RPO. And I think if you look at something in particular in the spring game, they hardly asked Thompson to run any RPO. And which is interesting because on the surface, if you think about a guy that probably runs a legit four or five, like he does, and he's a Houdini in the pocket. I mean, he really is tremendous in terms of evading pressure and getting out of trouble and doing things like that. And that showed up in the spring game because the offensive line was so bad. So he did buy them the opportunity to do some other things. But one thing I think as it pertains to RPO quarterbacks in particular, you have to have enough arm that if you're pulling the ball out of the back's belly at the last minute and then trying to hit someone right across the middle, that you have the arm to get yourself out of trouble. And so uh, on plays like that, I just don't know that he does have it. And 
to tell you the truth, I think Card's arm is even stronger than what I expected it to be um, from a guy who played quarterback for his first two years in high school. I mean, he has a really, really strong arm and got to show that some. Um, he didn't show the pocket awareness that I think that Thompson did and the escapability. I mean, Card's still a tremendous athlete. He's a way better athlete than Mac Jones, for example. But I just think his arm strength um, gives them enough that – Sark could operate more within the structure that he wants to, that we've seen him have success at his past two stops. So if I were him, I would go with card. Um, I can't say it with confidence. I, I surely hope so because I have card. I, I, I was able to get him really cheap last year in almost all of my campus to Canton and college fantasy uh, dynasty draft. So he was a taxi uh, addition for me in almost all of my leagues where I could get him. So I'm selfishly hoping that that he is the guy that wins the job, but I also think objectively he should win the job as well. Well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, Casey Thompson was clearly running with the ones during the the spring game, and I think uh, it was leaked that he had been getting a majority of the time with the ones. But that Texas quarterback situation is very interesting. Let's go back to your boy, Spencer Rattler. Um there's a kind of a two horse race for the number one pick in 2022. Do you think it's going to be Rattler or is it going to be uh, Sam Howell? Who you got? I, I think it would be Rattler between those two. I think that um, depending on who, who gets it, I mean, more than likely it's going to be a quarterback. I mean, I think Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, the Oregon defensive end, could legitimately be in that conversation. I mean, I think he is an extremely, extremely disruptive guy. But chances are, I mean, who are we looking at? Let's think about it. We're talking Texans or Lions probably. I mean, are those the two? Correct me if I'm wrong. Just jump in here. Are those yeah. two teams. Oh yeah. No, no, no. Use? I think the, te- the I think the Texans are going to get the number one pick. I yeah. I, I, I don't. Th- I think the Lions could potentially get the number two pick. Yeah. So I mean, for me, I think it, Rattler would be the easy choice for me, it, especially if I were answered in such a way of saying who's going to get drafted first. It would be Rattler would would definitely be be my answer, and I'll elaborate a little bit more on. Um, Howell and and why I'm a little bit less optimistic is um, the offensive coordinator that used to be at Ole Miss, uh, Phil Longo. He was the offensive coordinator uh, on the um, DK Metcalf and AJ Brown teams, and then he got hired over to be the offensive coordinator at at North Carolina. And I think it's fair to say we obviously have the benefit of of hindsight now. But I think it's fair to say that both A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf were taken around later than they should in the NFL draft. Would you agree with that? Both of those guys probably should have been first round picks, not second. I'd agree. And so uh, let's let's take the most recent example who just got drafted on their team right now, uh, Diami Brown. There were a lot of people that were really surprised that he made it all the way to round three. Would it be reasonable without the evidence that we now have on the others that round three may have been a late around later than than the type of talent that he was is that is that fair to definitely than we expected yeah okay so if you think about one of the narratives that i've heard surrounding those players when it came to nfl evaluators is the nfl hates that offense in general in, in terms of the their perceived um, transition 
from playing in that offense as wide receivers into playing in the NFL. And I think it's reasonable to suppose they all went around later than what we expected because the NFL had questions about the scheme and what they were asked to do. And so I think that especially as we're getting closer and the microscope goes on Howell, which I mean, just think about the microscope that was just on Justin Fields and Trevor mm-hmm. Lawrence. And I mean, think about those. And, 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 and neither of those players are in the discussion with either of those two guys, in my opinion, not Howell nor Rattler. Um, they could definitely be as valuable because they're going to be presumably first round NFL draft picks. But you think about kind of what those two had to overcome in terms of guys picking them apart. And then you look at what we've seen the NFL um, opine about in regards to Longo's offense. And so I think that Howell's going to have a few teams that don't like him for for that reason. They're going to focus more on uh, what wasn't asked of him versus what he's capable of doing. So I still feel comfortable saying Howell's going to be a, a first round pick in the NFL draft, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if he ended up falling towards the middle back um, of, of that draft, kind of uh, maybe the circumstances a little bit different than Fields uh, fall. But I mean, if, if Justin Fields can be the fourth quarterback off the board in this past draft, um, Howell in particular could be, could see a similar um, kind of spiral come next draft. Do you still think that though it's a two horse race between Howell and Rattler, or is there some 2022 guy you mentioned Ole Miss, maybe Matt Corral, um, who could be in the running to be one of the top quarterbacks taken. Because I think it's perceived that it's going to be either Rattler or Howe. Those guys are going to be the first two taken. Could you see someone else um, join that conversation? Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't rule um, Corral out at all from from doing that. I mean, just, again, uh, going back to the difficulty of projecting the NFL, I mean – it would have been almost unthinkable a year ago that both Zach Wilson and Trey Lance would have been drafted ahead of Justin Fields. So I think getting too dialed in on any concrete definites at this point, it's you're, you're open, uh, opening yourself up to being, being quite wrong uh, loudly uh, if you're too emphatic about a lot of those takes. So I try to be open-handed as much as I can while also still having strong conviction. But I think that Matt Corral is is a guy, and I think I may have mentioned this to you uh, on the last show or uh, maybe privately, but I mean, I think that Corral is a guy that could have a Zach Wilson type rise uh, this year where he's going to play in an extremely explosive uh, high scoring offense where the guy can make every throw that every NFL quarterback uh, can make, you know, certainly one of the strongest arms in, in college football. So it wouldn't shock me at all. If, if you gave me odds on him going ahead of Howell, you know, I'd, I'd, you know, you, you gave me some plus money on that. Sure. I'd, 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 I'd go ahead and, and, and take a shot. I would say it's less likely because we have a larger body of work on Howell. One other thing that I've noticed, and I guess I'll just say this really quickly, fantasy gamers value freshman year production more than the NFL does. I mean, think about Rondell Moore, for example, uh, Mm -hmm. most recently, you know, because he pops up in all green on your spreadsheet doesn't mean the NFL is going to see it the same way. You know, I mean, that's just that's just the reality that that impacts their market value from a dynasty standpoint, because at least 40 percent of your leagues are 
looking at their spreadsheet to, to determine what's what. And so I will, I will say, I think that there's a reason why Howell is a bit ahead of those guys. Um, another guy like a JT Daniels, for example, um, is just because he stepped into the opportunity to start as a freshman where there realistically wasn't another power five starter on that roster. And he was able to step into it and, and, and play pretty well. So I, I going back to the, you know, the spreadsheet, um, you know, I think that when these things come up in NFL draft rooms, when it comes to a war room, a front office talking about things, I think that the discussion surrounding age and experience and a lot of those other things that become the staples of what a lot of the fantasy community values, that they just become conversational pieces in NFL rooms. And, you know, for, for some guys like uh, Mac Jones, you know, they could say, well, he only has one year of experience, but what a year of experience it was. You know, I think that could be just as valuable to an NFL team as someone says about how, well, he's a three-year starter. And so we, we value that. It's just going to depend. Um, I don't, I don't think that there's the hard and fast rules in the NFL that, some fantasy gamers um, have, which helps to impact market value. So I just think there's a bit of a disconnect as it pertains to some of that, at least in my experiences. So he, I would say as a quarterback, it probably is better to have more experience than less um, because now the evidence is mounting against the players that don't have 20 college starts. It hasn't been pretty for most of those guys transitioning to the NFL, some of them already out of the league and still on the rookie deals. Um, so I would say at quarterback, yeah, it's probably more valuable that he has that track record behind him. But again, not to pick on another quarterback, but a guy like Keaton Slovis, who again is going to be able to say those same things. Okay, he's going to have three years of experience. Don't think the NFL is going to care as much about that if he doesn't meet some of the other um, requisite ability uh, requirements that they may have to play the position. Last question, Kyle. Um, 2023 is a class that everyone's looking forward to. You got three running backs in that class. I think B. John Robinson is clearly the consensus number one. How would you rank the remaining two? Or, you know, if you would rank one of these guys ahead of B. John, let me know that too. Um, mm-hmm. B. John Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, and Tank Bigsby. How would you rank those three? I would say um, from a Debbie standpoint, it would be uh, Robinson, Bigsby, Gibbs. If it were a college fantasy standpoint, I would switch Robinson and Bigsby. I would actually be more comfortable saying that Bigsby will be more productive than Bijan and then um, Gibbs third there uh, as well. So I would probably have Gibbs uh third in in both of those but that's not to say that I dislike him at all I believe he's believe he he deserves to be in the conversation um with with both of those guys every step of the way so I'm totally good with that but I would say that Bigsby stepping into the new offense which essentially is the Boise State offense that kind of satisfies one of my again my core tenets that I didn't get to touch on all of them in the beginning because that would take 10 hours to 
flesh out all of that. But Production, though. Uh, production, production. Well, right. I mean, and it, there's a reason why I always have one, if not two, Boise State running backs on my campus to Canton and college fantasy dynasty teams at all times. You know, uh, I, I just that's a that's a that's that's without question. He now is going to play in that role that we've seen produce mega stars in the college level. You know, Jeremy McNichols, Alexander Madison, George Halani's been a little bit injured, but I mean, we're talking about there's a long lineage. Um, you know, between them and Appalachian State would be another where they were the longest tenured programs that had a 1,000 yard rusher every season. And so I believe App State streak still remains at eight consecutive seasons. Every year they've been, since they've been promoted from the FCS, they've had a 1,000 yard rusher. And before COVID, Boise would have joined that as well. I think they were at seven. It was always kind of neck and neck. And Boise's going to have another. And Tank should be another now that it's migrated, you know, down south to Jordan Hare. I need to know everything. Who in the what in the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I want to thank Kyle Francis for taking the time. You can download the 2021 Debbie Watch now at DebbieWatch.com. I apologize to Matt Kelly. I ran out of time, but we will get them rescheduled soon. And that is the sharp review for this 10,731st day since the Detroit Lions last won a playoff game in Los Angeles. I'm Felix Good night. And good luck. Pros and that like a rookie, so they overlook me. They're not double up again. None of their knows. None of them cold. They just got lucky, but never adapted. So I'm to one of I'm working on my college fantasy previews now. So um, I'm gonna try to send out to. Um, I have Kansas and Buffalo left to do. Their teams 37 and 38 that were a part of my coaching changes for Volume Two. So I've written up and profiled and given the numbers for all the offensive coordinators for the other 36 teams. So as soon as as I finish those two, um, I think we're going to just send it out as a separate PDF to people who bought the Debbie watch. So it's because I don't think volume two is going to come out till July. And I was like, well, I think I need to get that out to college fantasy players in June, early June, so they can have that for college fantasy drafts. And then because that's more bent towards, a, you know, college fantasy focus, I'd rather have that to people early and not have the full volume two ready. So let's send it out in two shifts. So um, I'm going to wrap that up this week. That should be out. And then I'm going to work on all profile, all 130 teams with all the college fantasy numbers from their offensive coordinators. And then I'll give grandiose statements like I want this guy on 100% of my rosters and all things like that. You know everything. Who in the what in the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like I was looking at Devin Neal and I was like, mm, I might go wide receiver here, but um <clears throat> I mean you just never know, you know, like like when the when these guys are gonna go. I mean, I may have been around or two early from when he would have gone, but I tried to factor that in to a certain degree, but I also am just like, well, I gotta just get your guy. Get my guy. I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk. Gotta keep quiet. Uh, I bought the 2021 Debbie Watch. Uh, it was my first time purchasing 350 pages with rankings of all all positions, all De- Debbie positions, fantasy positions, player profilers. So when I'm in my drafts and I'm like, all right, is this where I want to take Graham Mertz or Devin Neal? I go to my Debbie Watch and I look up those player profiles. Uh, my, those player profiles. Profiles. I look up those player profiles. I need to know everything. Who in the what in the where I need everything. 
Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. You you would not like my draft board because it's, <laughs> I mean it's 16 team leagues and it's yeah. I'm I've got all these freshmen. Yeah. Now it's a startup, so I still got. I mean, I'm gonna get Jay Kaner and Jalen Cropper and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know and Chris Smith out of UL some yeah. some some fantasy guys um, that'll that'll you know buoy my roster. Yeah, so that, that would be that would be an, that would be another example like the the Billy Napier backs. Like I want to have two, both of those guys. I want to have Chris Smith and Imani Bailey. You know, I want to have Trey Raggis and Elijah Mitchell. I because those are just weekly guys that I can rely on. So you know, those are the type of guys like uh, I. I Imani Bailey, I have on several of my taxi squads um, from last year, um, just because I had a free true freshman slot. So I'm not going to spend a premium pick on a player if it's round 11 of my 15 in my supplemental. Okay, Imani Bailey, taxi, Hudson Card, taxi. You know, just like I'm just sitting all those guys down on my, on my taxi um, and thinking again. That goes back to my point about backfilling. Is I'm always looking to okay, Sam Ellinger's there one more year. Mm-hmm. Mitchell and Ragus are there one more year. So who are the guys that they don't know? They're not the premium recruits, but they're going to step into a really favorable situation and then fill it up that way. Five and a horse, I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now you'd be surprised at the info you get. This by he's small. He's like 200 pounds. Yeah. So, which probably means 190. Right. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So I mean, I tend to get a little, uh, a little concerned, especially because he would be the exception versus what we've seen. Um, now, sometimes I'm too rigid with those rules, and I get myself in trouble. And I'll give you an example of that: is I actually openly told people not to draft Elijah uh, Moore at Ole Miss at his cost in college fantasy drafts last season. Mm-hmm. And that's because, you know, Lane Kiffin hired Jeff Lebby, who is a Josh Heupel disciple. And that offense has always run through the outside guy. Jamon Moore at Missouri, uh, Gabriel Davis at UCF. It's always been the outside guy. They line up on one side and 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 so it very rarely ran through the slot. But people were saying, at least some of my fellow you know college fantasy analysts were saying, no, Elijah Moore. And I was thinking, well, no, that's contrary to what Levy has done. He almost never throws to the slot. So take Jonathan Mingo at the mm-hmm. end of the draft and I think that that's the better at cost decision now that obviously ended up being foolish which happens to me a lot but um, it was one of those things where where I can get myself into trouble when it comes to forecasting a scheme is Kiffin being an offensive guy that was Kiffin's offense more than it was Levy's offense so Levy was more offensive coordinator in name than actual execution and so Kiffin's a smart guy and he did it with Amari Cooper at Alabama who hey you you got the horse, you ride him. You just throw to Elijah Moore as many times as he can catch it. I need to know everything. Who in the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it. Speaking of Elijah Moore, 24-7 comps um, Mario Williams to Elijah Moore. And we're talking about spring games. He had a really good spring game. Do you have any thoughts? About, I, I really like 
Yeah, I, I think he, 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 yeah. he would be another guy. Like, that would be the high-profile offense where I'd be willing to pay up on a guy. Um, I think he went. I think uh, my my buddy Greg Brandt, I think Greg took him in the first or second I, in, in our in our most recent 15-rounder. Uh, so I knew he was going to come at, at a cost. But he, he would be a guy I'd be more inclined to do it, even though we've been burned for the past several years in terms of, you know, all of a sudden, it's Marvin Mims. Hazelwood, Theo. Right. All of a yeah. sudden, it's Mims. Uh, Trajan Bridges. Yeah. yeah. Mims is the guy we least expect. And then he goes out there and just is ridiculous on a per-touch basis. So um, Greg was actually – he was the guy pumping up Mims. He was telling everyone to draft him last year. I was kind of like, eh. And uh, so Greg has him on all his teams, so I'm pissed now. So maybe he did it again with Williams. Beast with an appetite, razor for teeth, and still they would lay at my feet. Boy, you got the wrong one. I go to my Debbie watch and I look up those player profiles. Uh, my, those player profile, profiles. I look up those player profiles. 